We walked into this place this morning and rain is falling on us and we're cheerful. The difference a drought makes. There are other Sundays we walk in here and we're like, oh, it's so dreary. I can't stand the rain and today we welcome it. Our perspective is changed because of what came before it. And that's what you want to do today in worship. You want to change our perspective. You, you want to take something that we've been looking at in a certain way and say, ah, wait. There's another way to see this. I pray today would be a, a perspective-changing day. Whatever it is we've been going through, we've been experiencing, we've been thinking, that today you give us that aha moment that we'd say, now I see what you're doing, God. We love you. Thank you for letting us be together today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I was really quite tempted to bring uh, three pillows here today. Shelly's going to join us uh, for this part. We've been uh, having a little bit of fun. As you know, 140 of us plus one mini headed up to Green Lake Conference Center about three and a half, three, three and three quarters hours north of here for a week of work, of play, of worship, and learning. And we'll be talking about that a little bit more in a moment, but there are other things uh, we need to get to first, like the fact that we're two weeks away from Quest Day Camp. So uh, there's some role that you're probably playing, whether it's getting ready for a, a breakout, a small group, uh, a teach, a skit, whatever it is, just I, I know you, you, know, you get to this point and, and, and it's easy to let up. No letting up. Let's keep up the energy, the good energy that gets there and lots of prayer. We need lots of prayer as we're heading into this truly spiritual venture. This is just something we're doing on our own power. This is something we want to do through the power of God. So be spending time praying through that. Uh, during the summer, we do a few summer uh, outdoor services. We've already done one of them on uh, Memorial Day. Would you click? Thanks. I'm uh, not that far. Thank you. On Memorial Day uh, weekend, the next one coming up is Fourth uh, of July weekend, July second. That one will actually be under a tent. We'll still have the day camp tent out there, so so we'll be covered rain, shine, snow, whatever whatever comes our way. And then we will also be meeting outside Labor Day weekend. And and the thing that's important with these is these are tied to the opportunity to express your faith through baptism. So on July 2nd, we'll have a pool set up over here. Uh, we have a, a baptismal tank, portable baptismal tank that we'll have set up. If you've been looking to get baptized and you want to do that, we have that available on July 2nd. On September 3rd, we'll actually head over to the DuPage River and do baptisms over there. So I know for some of you, you know, you're like, that river baptism thing sounds great, except I don't like fish in the water, I don't like algae, I don't like all that. Uh, you like clean water, so you might be leaning toward July 2nd. And then just so that you know, we're not just limited to those two days. So throughout the summer, if you're looking to get baptized, it's an important uh, spiritual event in your life, an important mile marker, uh, please let us know uh, through the email that went out or any way you can that you want to move toward that. Uh, those dates are available for you. So do you have anything else to well, add? To we've other? just also thrown out like to our kids, if, if they wanted to do it with Just Revive and their family mm. or just want to do Refuge in their family, we think having family there is, is really, It's actually really one important. of the reasons we don't do baptisms at Green Lake. Yeah. We want moms and dads there. And, yep. and especially if mom and dad don't come here, kid comes home and they're like, what cult did you just join yeah. or something? Yeah. You know, yeah. we, we don't want that. We want to be an experience with the family. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So mm -hmm. we can set that up at any point throughout the summer. Uh, we can, you know, if you have a week that extended family is going to be in town, let us know because we can, we can always make that work uh, for whatever's going on. And uh, yeah, and it can be either the, the pool, the tank, or, or the river. Uh, one thing that I totally forgot to mention in the first service was <clears throat> this Friday night, uh, the girls are getting together uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. and they're making some verse memory uh, bracelets. So just working on continuing to memorize scripture and uh, carrying that momentum that we have from Green Lake into another night where we can be all together. So that's, that's for the girls. Um, high school, revive, junior high, Both anybody? Revive okay. and Refuge girls. <clears throat> just posted on our Instagram. That's actually what I got up right now because uh, Julie is so fantastic at getting all that info posted and out there. But that's 6 to 8 p.m. this Friday night for all high school and junior high girls, even if you didn't go to camp. That doesn't, that's not a stipulation. 
uh, but 6 to 8 p.m. For, for that. And I hear, rumor is that uh, there was some ice cream that wasn't stolen, but may have made its way back from Green Lake. So there might be some Sundays there as well. Awesome. Okay. Very good. Very good. So it just, uh, we want to give you a little rundown of what the week was like. You know, it's, it's interesting that when, when missionaries go off, they come back, they give a report of what they've done. I think it's important for you to hear about the investment you made in your kids. Uh, an incredible week. Like we said, we go up to this conference center that's 900 acres large, and it has 120 buildings. Many of those buildings are at or over 100 years old. So there's, there's always something to do. They have a huge rose garden, and I keep saying to the kids, the weeds will never be gone. There, there, will, always be, there will always be another weed to be pulled. So uh, we go there to work, and it really it refreshes and revives their staff. It's just fun to see the joy of the staff. Typically, staff at a conference center, when they see teenagers approaching, they go, ugh. And when our teenagers approach, they go, yay, we're, they're thrilled. They're thrilled to have them there. So there's work. In the afternoon, Brian is just a nonstop play machine. I mean, I, I, you look a little weary today. I think Thanks, the man. age is finally catching up. I'm <laughs> needed, serious. Needed that. Yeah, no, <laughs> but I mean, morning, noon, and night, this kid is just, it's like taking Dresden with you uh, on a retreat. So mm. nonstop. Nonstop power, nonstop energy, and then in the evening we spend time in teaching and worship, and and uh, we called them this year family reunions, where mm -hmm. the family gets together to talk about spiritual conversations. Yeah. So this this image is great. Yeah, it's super cool. So just a, a picture of our day. They go. We start at 7:30. Like kids are walking out of the rooms at 7:30 in the morning, and we make it until 11, sometimes midnight. And in the case of Thursday. 5:45 in the morning. Woo. Yeah, so it was uh, it, it was tough. And I this morning I was driving to church, and Riley and I had planned to stop and get some Dunkin'. And Emmett throws a wrench into things. I I totally blew it. I got him ready to go and in the car and everything, and I forgot his bottle. So we had to turn around and go back to get. So his he bottle. got his bottle, and you didn't get yours. Right. Uh, but Aww. any teacher that says they don't have favorites is a liar. I've said that for a long, long time. And uh, Sophia just offered, she's like, hey, I'm, go I'm gonna go to Dunkin', I'm gonna get you some coffee, what do you want? And I was like, I I'll anything uh, hot and no sugar. And she came back with the biggest thing that they sell. So, I mean, and, and it was really cool because I worked with her. We worked on clearing out a tool shed and she found a couple axes and she's like, I'd like those. So I brought them for her and then I'm thinking, I don't what know her very well. <laughs> <laughs> There's a video of her swinging this axe, trying to do something effective, and that axe almost took someone's head off. So maybe we should uh, let home... Wisdom, not should, my game. We should get, we should get home a, a warning that those things are coming. Uh, yeah, either way, unbelievable week. And yeah, speaking of this picture, um, we did things a little differently this year. We're on Monday, instead of going straight to work in the morning, we actually flipped it. So our... The Green Lake staff, they have weekends off, and so they come in on Monday morning, and when they have to figure out what they're going to do with 140 people, it can be challenging. So instead, we took the morning to get to know each other before working in the afternoon. And the way that we did that was through a name game, where they started in these little groups, their family groups of four, five, six, seven people, getting to know everybody's first and last names. And then they combined groups. So you know, one group would go with another, so the circle's a little larger and they'd get to know that group's names. And then I'd give them a little extra time, and then we'd combine again, combine again, combine again, until we came out into the circle drive and had one massive circle. And I said, I will give a legitimate prize, which ended up being about an hour off of work and a trip to the country store, uh, if you can name every single person at camp. Every single, this is day one, day one. You have to name every single person. We had four kids accomplish that. That's Georgie, Katie, Izzy, and Ellie, and I, we have, we have adults follow the kids, because a lot of kids tried. A lot of kids tried and did really well. But we always have adults follow the kids to make sure that they're not just going, hum, 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 you know, like just mumbling. And Ellie, I, I've never been more impressed by a human being in my entire life. <laughs> this girl knew every name solidly. I think she could have told them like their favorite color, like favorite sport, <laughs> what time they go to wake up in the morning, go to bed, all that. Um, Cause, and it was, it was funny, too, because she's rattling off names, and Georgie, I think, had gotten stuck on one, and Ellie just came and, like, stepped in front of her and was like, you know, <laughs> gave the name and kept rolling. So it was lightning fast, but super cool. I, I think that's a piece of our camp that I love. So we really make an effort. We know not every single person is going to know every single person. 
but we make really uh, focused efforts in getting kids together, doing whole giant group activities, sixth graders on through, you know, kids leaving for college, and getting to know each other because it's not, it's not just about the game, it's not just about the work, it's about being together and learning what this giant group, uh, the, the momentum that you can get from a giant group, the, the, the feelings and the, the love you can get from a giant group like this. So that was a really cool way to start and I was really proud of those four girls. Did you have a memory or moment that hit you? Um, this is my first time leading a group, and I, Julie gave me some great girls, not gonna lie. Um, I had the um, high school seniors and graduates, and we just had like such long discussions. Every single time we had small group, we would sit there and be like the last ones out of the room. We're like bawling our eyes out, and um, hopefully a couple of them get baptized by the end of the summer, be praying for that. But um, yeah, it was just, it was a really fun time. For those of you that are newer, by the way, Shelly's not normally up here doing this with us, and, and she looks a lot like Riley, so if your eyes are blurry, this is Shelly, my daughter, and Brian, my son, not Riley, the wife, okay? So anyway, go ahead. Sophie, Sophie actually just came up to me. What? Uh, it would be easy to be confused. Sophie just came up to me, and she was like, did you know Julia is engaged? Why aren't you married? Can you marry Brian? Like... See? No, babe. See? There's a lot of problems with that. There's a lot of problems here, with that. You stand over here. <laughs> we do look like them. You did it. You had a blast with those girls. Oh, it was yeah. amazing. And Holy all the cow. family leaders, I love the connections they make with the kids. It's really good. How you doing? Yeah. All right. Sweaty. Um, so, no, actually, one of the, I was going to mention something about your group. You know, these long discussions. You chose to go to Ollie's uh, the last night, and you guys were having group, and and Ollie's is a little ice cream shop that we have on the ground. Shelly worked at for a couple yeah, summers. Yeah, yeah. And we were, uh, Ben and a couple other uh, people were serving us ice cream out of that, that shop, but the doors were locked. And so as groups finished, they were all heading to Ollie's. And I can't describe to you, as their group is finishing their discussion, you had little junior high boys and girls, like literally, I mean, they, they were ready to riot. I mean, they were ready to break down. But I mean, licking the windows, like, what is it? That, that, for me, was a, a hilarious highlight. <laughs> it so. was great. It was great. So a big piece of this trip is work. And yesterday morning or afternoon, uh, Kim, Shelley, and I met with Ben Mott, who's the president of Green Lake Conference Center. He used to go here, as well as his daughter, Emma. We were sitting together at lunch, and Emma asked, so what did you all do this week? And, and I had Ben start, actually, because he led a lot of the work groups and then I shared some things, and then you pulled out the list and started sharing things. And okay, I was there, and I was the one organizing the jobs, and hearing the list, I was blown away. So what I asked you to do this morning is rattle off the list so you can hear all the things those kids did at Green Lake and all the kids, they are, all the things they are able to do at home <laughs> now that they have returned. So go through the list. I don't know. There are some things I wouldn't trust them to do. Or I would hope that maybe you don't have, like, scum in your house. That's yeah. a little disgusting. If you do, clean that up. Um, but we scooped up scum and goose poop. Ew. Um, you, mean, you mean goose Cheetos. Goose Cheetos. Yeah. Yes, goose yes. <laughs> Poopy Rekka loves goose Cheetos. Yeah. Um, we, <laughs> we dug out some fire pits. We did some electrical work, changing out some lighting. Um, that took like all four days, right? Did that was that, that was fluorescent to LED, remove the ballast, bypass it, and, and high schoolers are learning how to do that. Yeah. It's awesome. Cool. I, putting together scaffolding was another thing that I've learned yeah. how to do, and everybody yeah. did great with that except for Harry, so don't trust Harry with the scaffolding. <laughs> <laughs> Harry, 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 Harry broke himself now. with the scaffolding. So. <laughs> um, we also cleaned up just like everywhere. We cleaned up curbs outside the guest houses, hotel stairwells, the dining room windows, sewer drains, ew, again, um, camper showers, bigger ew, um, memory lane, the chapel, um, the rose garden, different flower beds around the place, a boat, um, no, Hope Vale, which is actually a place where Brian almost lost all of his hope and almost lost his life on the edge there, of There's this. a big drop it's down a there. Drop. Yeah. <laughs> About 25 yeah. feet. Yeah, yeah. that's not, not yeah, smart. Yeah. <laughs> um, we also cleaned up a place called Idris Jones and bleached all the walls. Smells nice and lovely in there now. Um, we cleaned up the chapel car, some boys' dorms, girls' dorms, the rec center, and Don's teeth with a lovely toothbrush that he found. Super <laughs> Don't disgusting. Don't miss that. 
that he found. Yeah, that he found. And he also used to brush Hunter's teeth there, which he looks a little scared. <laughs> but we also, of course, did Buckthorn, 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 and more Buckthorn. There's always Buckthorn to be taken down. Mm -hmm. um, we spread some mulch on a playground and spread sand in some horseshoe pits. We hung pictures in... Um, <laughs> We, well, this day they didn't really hang very many pictures. There was one hammer. It was a rough day. So it was a lot of, a lot of this, but it was a fun time. Um, they also painted some doors and painted Lone Tree Lodge, not once, not twice, but three times because they kept painting themselves and a little bit, a lot of bit of the ground. So um, don't trust your kids to paint at home, just saying. Um, they can stain a dock, though. They can do that pretty well. They also um, sanded and um, power washed some laundry skids. I don't even know, what are those for? They're doing a whole new laundry system so that you don't have to bend anymore. The, the, the housekeeping will literally be able to roll it at standing level, easing the back, shoulders, arms, the whole works. Awesome system. That's legit. Um, we also uh, power washed furniture loaded up some furniture, moved it to different places, a lot of it went in the trash, danced on some furniture, and even Mike Lakin right. did a little dance on some furniture. Yes, slay Mike. <laughs> um, we also um, disassembled some laundry bins and did a little bit of laundry ourselves. Um, and of course, everyone's favorite job of all, we all had eyes on Emmett the entire time. Aww. Oh, man. Yeah. I wish you could see his face. He's <laughs> like, I'm it. <laughs> oh, he's such a sweet baby. We had such a good time. He's so cute. Uh, so, I mean, what's amazing about that, I mean, you know, with every year I emphasize with the kids, many hands make light work. My goodness, the, the amount of work that was done, just the, the cabins alone. We went in and had a family group in each place and did all those in a morning housekeeping people said to me later, if they had had to do all those, it would take three days. So we were able to take care of that in a morning. And you think about that for a moment, the relief then that comes to that staff, because they're, they're just, this place is a black hole of work. There's always something breaking, always something to be done. The encouragement, and really encouraging to the truster people. Well, yeah, so I mean, you know that if, if you had somebody come over to your house today and for free clean everything and you know get everything exactly where you want it that would not just check a box but it also clear that brain space and give you like you said that sense of relief like oh my goodness now I don't have to do this it's done and I can move on to other things and now you have energy to move on to the other thing instead of looking at that big long list and one of those big long lists was for our ladies over at Troster which is a um, it's a craft center, uh, which is kind of confusing. And a lapidary, and I mean, yeah, it's yeah. all kinds of, yeah. It's kind of confusing because the, like, the dining hall is the craft center. Oh, but right. This is CRAFT. Craft. So right. this is a, yeah, yeah. CRAFT craft. And, uh, Not macaroni. We cheese. were over by uh, that Hopevale, Hopevale path that was referenced earlier. And basically what this is is a memorial to some Filipino missionaries uh, and believers from during World War II who... Uh, refused to stop professing the gospel, even, in, even at the threat of the Japanese um, army killing them. And ultimately, they did. They lost their lives. And there's a really cool story with it that I won't get too, uh, too deep into, but the, the daughter of the Filipino missionary who was killed uh, reached out after the war and f was able to find, speaking of lost and found, was able to find the captain that killed her dad and ended up bringing him to Christ. So this whole path kind of tells that story and it gives missionaries from around the world that would come and, uh, and know that story or, or want to share that, a place to go to worship in a place that kind of looks like where they were. And this place was totally overgrown. There's leaves all over the ground. There's weeds that Ellie made sure there are no more weeds. I mean, she, that girl, literally, if, there, if it was green and it was even a centimeter of, above the ground, she's digging her fingers in and ripping it by the root. Uh, so it, it was a disaster, and we made it look pretty, as pretty mm -hmm. and natural as it could. Mm -hmm. These, so I had a couple of students ask, like, who's ever going to come up here? Like, this is, like, nobody even knows this here. And that was after I told them. I've never been on this path. My family's been coming here for 20 years. You know, I worked here for a couple summers. I, I didn't even know this was here. And so like, why are we even wasting our time? It's like, because they need it done. And sure enough, 
about five minutes later, two ladies come walking up the path. And they have this smile on their face, and they're like, it's all done. It's all done. And she, one of the ladies came up to me uh, and said, you know, are you guys just doing this for fun? Or like, what's, what's going on here? Because it would be very confusing uh, if you expected something different. And so she came up, and, and I explained who we were, why we were there, and what we were doing. And she said, wow, you know, my, they get volunteers from all over the country. So this lady I was speaking to was from Florida. Her friend was from California, and they just spend the summer there volunteering. And uh, she said, yeah, my husband is coming next week, and we were just coming to assess the situation because we were going to do this. And they're in their 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, they were fully prepared to, to rake and weed and fix the benches that were at the chapel because they're kind of falling apart. And the relief that it gave her, and you could literally see it like, wow, this is, this is really, really incredible. It's going to save us not just time, um, but it's going to save our bodies. And she was so appreciative of that. And this Troster, this craft center that, um, that they have on grounds there is really cool. You can make jewelry, you can make, um, you can like mold and cast and fire uh, clay stuff. You can paint, you can put decals on things. It's never open when we're there because it depends on volunteers. And so they show up when it's warm in Wisconsin, so the third week of June. Uh, but these ladies showed up beforehand just to kind of assess the other things that they were going to be doing. And she said, you know, normally, like, we can't be open because we're not here, but because you guys are clearly doing so much work around the grounds, do you have any kids that would want to craft? I was like, yeah. And uh, so they said, all right, we're going to need some time. It's going to take us about a day to open up shop and get everything set. But tomorrow night, why don't you bring a group of about 25? That's about the, mo- the most they can handle. Uh, and we'll be open for two hours so you guys can make some, make some creations. And if you uh, notice on the way out today, out on the countertop, if you were one of the students who made one of those things, they've been sealed and permanent uh, and they're sitting out on the countertop. But I think that's super cool that here these ladies just volunteer. They saw the work that we were doing and they said, hey, because of what you're doing, because of the heart you have, we're going to do something that we wouldn't do for anybody else. Yeah. And to bring the story full circle, I walked up to the couple, couple of ladies and said, I don't know that you know this, but there were guys from our church, Jerry Stroman, Dave Papish, and Michael Brown, who came up late winter, early spring and redid all the lighting in Troster. Again, switching it from fluorescent to LED so it's nice and bright and light. And here, our guys did that, and now you're giving our kids the privilege of using the space that our guys worked on. So super just cool. a, So a can really we, super quick, I, I want to give thanks to the kids, but also to the adults, because it wasn't just the, the time that they put in, or the time they took off work and everything. It was the sleep they lost. It was the conversations they had, the emotion. I mean, it's an emotional week, let alone all the, the physical work. And then to have to wake up on Friday morning when you have to go get a van ready only to find out that some idiot TP'd it, Sam. Um, <laughs> that could be kind of frustrating too. So overall, I mean, a very, very fun week. But would you mind joining me in thanking all of the students and leaders that went to Green Lake? We're grateful, God, for what you teach us about you when we get the chance to work hard and play hard and worship hard and learn hard, all these things, God. I'm I'm grateful for the intensity of the week. I pray that the seeds that have been planted in hearts, students as well as adults, the seeds that have planted in hearts would be protected by your spirit uh, from any tampering by the enemy. Let that seed grow and flourish. Let godly men and women rise up from this place to be people that truly lead a, a revolutionary change in our, in our city and our country for Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. So this was the theme of the week, Lost and Found. And Brian and I do kind of some tag teaching with this. And, and when he told me the theme, I'm like, oh, no. You see, after, after I started teaching full-time on Sunday mornings in 1990, so I've been doing this for a little bit, And I've learned this lesson that typically when God wants me to bring a transformative message, he makes me be transformed first. And so he takes me through a bunch of lessons. And when I saw Lost and Found, I'm like, my brain is already sieve-like. I can't afford all the losing that's going to happen in the next two months. And it's been an exceptional two months of losing. 
I am misplacing things all the time. I mean, it's come to the point that there, there are finders on everything. You know, if I could, if I could find, put a finder on my foot, I would because I lose it. So um, I, it comes right down to the day we're supposed to leave. Kim wanted to get out by 9.30, get on the road. And so I came over here bright and early. I think it was even pre-7 o'clock. I had two things I needed to do here, and then I was going to get going, and I, I got them done, and I'm ready to go, and I, I thought, oh, I better go outside back and just water the plants real quick, and so I did, and when I turned, I looked and realized we had loaded scaffolding the day before, but we didn't put the crossbars in the, in the trailer, so I got those and put those in. I'm like, okay, now I'm ready to go, and so I go back to grab the papers and whatever, and then I go, oh my word, I forgot. I need the I-passes for the vans. And so I went to the place that I keep the iPasses and I opened it and, and they weren't there. And I'm the only one that knows they're there. So where did they go? And at first I'm thinking, I don't know, did they get stolen? I'm like, no, this is you. Where did you put them? And I just start scampering around here looking at every closed place I can find. Finally remember, oh yeah, there's a locked place that I thought would be a great idea. Sure enough, open it, whew, relief, okay. So we can get the iPasses on the vans and we're good to go. And, um, and so I'm going through all of this, and, and, and then why did I come over? The stack of papers in the box. And so I go to get the stack of papers in the box after distributing the iPasses, and I can't find them. And I knew, I knew, I remembered, I knew I put them somewhere I would remember. You know that drill, right? <laughs> and around here, somewhere I would remember is either that room or that room or the info hub or the check-in station or the stage in the gym. Uh, those are kind of my don't forget spots, all right? So I went and inspected all my don't forget spots, wasn't there. I went back and looked in the office, not on my desk. I went and looked in the office four times. Why is it that we go back thinking one of these times, boom, it's going to be there? I don't know. I'm looking, I'm looking. I call Kim, I'm like, now it's 9.20. I'm like, well, clearly 9 isn't happening. I don't know if 10 is going to happen. I've got to find these things. Honestly, I just finally gave up. I'm like, oh, well, I'll figure it out. I got in the car. I had put them in the car. I knew I put them somewhere I wouldn't forget. I never want to do this theme again, ever, 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 ever. And having said that, I'm so glad we did this theme, and I want to do it again and again and again. We, we studied Luke 15. And you know Luke 15, beautiful set of stories by Jesus. Jesus tells these parables. Parables are earthly sayings with heavenly meanings. Great little definition. Why does he do this? Well, because Jesus is trying to tell us about something that with our human mind here now, we just can't really grasp. Jesus has been to heaven. He knows the beauty of heaven. Jesus has seen God the Father. Not only knows what he looks like, but knows his character. Jesus is God. He knows the character of God. And he's, it's as if someone with a PhD is trying to explain something intensely complex to a kindergartner. That's what Jesus is doing for us. And so, and so he uses parables, and those parables use a lot of words like like and as. It's not exactly the same, but it's supposed to give you an impression. It's supposed to give you an idea of what's happening. And he's telling these stories to religious leaders, religious people who are supposed to know better, religious people who are supposed to have a clue by now, religious leader who hates scummy sinners, and Jesus, in a very polite way, is trying to say, you're a scummy sinner, and you don't even realize it. And so he starts to tell them these series, series of stories. The first is a story about a, a shepherd who has 100 sheep, and one of them wanders away. And what that shepherd does for that wandering sheep, that, that the, he actually leaves the 99 out, on the, out in the field and goes and searches for the one. And, and this kind of, it blows away. It blows the mind of these religious leaders because they're thinking, wait a second, the shepherd would never leave us. We're the good guys. Why didn't the shepherd just say, hey, you're the one that wandered. You're wolf food now. Forget you. But no, the heart of God is, I'm going to find that one lost sheep. And then he talks about a woman who lost a coin. This coin is lost. We've all lost things that are valuable, right? We've lost them. We search and we search and we search and we can't find them. And yet when we find them, we are, we are ready to scream throughout the neighborhood. Finally, finally, I finally found it. And, and he says, just like, that's just the way it is with God and lost people. And then he comes, I believe, to the story of stories, this beautiful story story about a father who has two sons. Now, if this is an earthly saying with a heavenly meaning, who's the father? Go ahead and say it. God. He's, he's telling us about Father God. He wants us to know something about Father God. And, and, 
And he has two sons. Who are the sons? Someone in the first service said the Holy Spirit and Satan. No, it's us. It's us. He's talking about us. And you're like, well, wait a second, I'm a girl. How does this work, right? Well, I love this about Jesus. He has the wisdom in telling the story to not get them so sidetracked that they won't be able to listen. They're already going to be sidetracked enough because the younger son shouldn't be getting any inheritance. But in their days, a woman, a a daughter, would not have received inheritance. And they would have been sidetracked with that detail. They never would have heard another word. And so he's telling this story about a father who has two sons. And the youngest son, the youngest son looks at dad and says, "Eh, you're right there on the edge, old man. It won't be long. You might as well go ahead and give me what I have coming to me. Now, think about it. The father could have, with legitimacy, said, you're the youngest. You're not getting a thing. He could have legitimately said, with that attitude, you get nothing. Get out of this house. But who is this? He's talking about Father God and what God is like. And you know what God does? He gives the kid his share of the inheritance, hands it to him. Here, it's yours. He hands him his life. Here, it's yours. And that kid we told in the story decides now that he's got what he wants, he's going to go off and do whatever he wants. So before we go any further in the story, I want to talk about ways we are lost. There are different ways we're lost. If, we, if we're listening to this story today, we understand that Jesus is primarily talking about salvation. He's talking about the separation that takes place when we are not living life with God because of the sin that has separated us from God. We go back to the Old Testament and we know that Adam and Eve are in the garden. And in the garden, God talks to them in the cool of the day. Can you imagine just spending a little time talking to God? He's going to take a walk with you and, and we're going to talk together. Well, Adam and Eve sin, and they lose that connection and their relationship with God. In fact, the Bible says they're cast out of the garden. They're not allowed back into the garden. The garden is the place of communion with God, and they're cast out of the garden. And, and, and here's the thing. None of us since have been born in the garden. Every one of us since received the gift from Adam of sin in our hearts. We received the, I mean, it, it, it just, it breaks my heart to think Adam, the Emmett, almost six months old. I mean, this kid, he, best baby that has ever walked the face of the earth, okay? That, that kid has sin in his heart. And he has to come to a place of trusting in Christ as the forgiver of his sin and the leader of his life. We all do. We're all separated from God because of sin. So one of the ways we're lost is that we need salvation. The relationship with God is separated. And I really believe that is what this parable is trying to get across. The relationship with God is separated and it requires confession. It requires believing in Christ in order for that relationship to be restored with the Father. But here's the thing. Those of us that have already done that, we go, well, then I guess I don't have to listen to the rest of the parable. But I really believe there are other ways that we're lost. Not losing of our salvation. Once you're saved, you're saved. But there are ways in which our relationship with God gains some distance. Another way we're lost is just a sin pattern. We choose to live in a season of sin. Sin is what we do when our heart is not satisfied with God. When we decide there's something else that will bring us more satisfaction than God himself, we start pursuing that path. And you know what happens? We fall into a relationship with that sin. We fall into love with that sin. And the relationship with God is strained. It's not separated. That separation was about salvation. It's strained. You understand a strained relationship. A lot of us have family members, friends that were friends, and now it's not the way it was. Strained relationship with God. In a sense, you could say you're lost. In a sense, and remember, salvation is capital L, capital O, capital S, capital T, lost. This is capital L, small O-S-T, lost, okay? But it's still a sense of being strained with God. Our lostness needs to be overcome. There's a third as well. And this one, you're already a believer. And to the best that you can see, you're not living in a state of sin. But something still doesn't feel right. It's like, 
Why does there seem to be this distance between me and God? I call this silence. Those times that you're praying and the prayers just seem to bounce off the ceiling. Those times that you're thinking, I should have more of the joy of the Lord. Why isn't there? There's a restlessness, sometimes a, a staleness in our walk with God. And we just don't understand why. Something's wrong. Why? And I, and I said, in this case, the relationship is strange. It's just strange. It's not what it was. We know it's not what it's supposed to be. And I think there are a lot of reasons for this, but I think one of the primary reasons is that God, God has provided a number of vehicles for us to get to know him. He's provided worship, singing together, that sort of thing, as a way to get to know him. He's provided prayer. He's provided Bible study. He's provided relationships with other people in the body of Christ. And sometimes we get a little bit mixed up and we start falling more in love with the vehicle than we do with the reason the vehicle is there for the, in the first place, and that's to really be connected in our relationship with God. I'll use worship as the prime example. By worship, I'm talking about singing primarily, because when, when we say worship, that's what most people think. Singing, enjoying, enjoying a Christian concert, we can get so euphoric in those moments, and there comes a point that we get addicted to the music, and, and God's kind of saying, the song is about me, and yet you're making it about you. And you got to be careful. And so I think sometimes God allows those silence moments to say, do you love me really? Do you love me really? With sin, he's saying, you've lost your first love. It's time to come home. Now he's just, it's really a potential season of growth. And in this case, it's small l, small o, small s, small t. So it's not, it's not separation from God. It's not even strained. It's just strange. Something isn't right. God wants to bring us home. He wants us to enjoy being home with him. And so the question I would ask is, how do we hear God? How do we hear him? How does God speak to us? You know, I wish after reading Exodus chapter 3 and 4, I wish everybody, one of us, had, a, had one of these in a, in a cabinet or cupboard at home. We could just open the door and there's our burning bush. Hi, God. How you doing? Hey, this is what I want you to do today. Or just wanted to say I love you. Something, you know, to hear the audible voice of God would be phenomenal. And yet, even in the Bible, most people never heard the audible voice of God. And yet God's speaking, he's speaking, he's always speaking. So the question is, how does God get our attention? How does he speak to us? One of the ways he speaks to us is through desire. He's, he's filled your heart with desires, and those desires are supposed to draw you toward God. They're supposed to give you that taste of, I want God, I want more of God. Uh, two weeks ago, the last time it rained, we had two days of hard rain in the afternoon. Uh, there were some storms throughout the state, and I follow this one storm site, and they posted a picture. I love this picture. This is amazing. This isn't Photoshopped, okay? You got the rainbow and the lightning bolt almost meeting right at the same spot. It's incredible. That rainbow represents, you know, so many things. The rainbow, of course, is God's promise, never again will I destroy the earth with a flood. In more modern times, uh, leprechauns have overtaken it. Uh, uh, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. I just, I need to go searching and I'll find my pot of gold, my desire. There's something out there that I want that I can finally go ahead and get. Every human desire is rooted in something God wants to be for you. Everyone, you have a desire for intimacy and you're trying to meet it in everything from pornography to relationships and even prostitution. And God's saying, I want to be that for you. All these desires that are placed in the human heart are God calling and saying, I'm talking to you. Are you listening? Are you listening? But we fall for the cheap substitute rather than the real thing. We fall for the junk food rather than the good meal. The woman at the well, she's thirsty. She's there. She's just getting water. And Jesus talks to her and says, oh, your thirst? Your thirst goes way deeper than the water in the well. You are thirsty for acceptance. You're thirsty for love. You're thirsty for stability. You're thirsty for a home. And Jesus says, and only I can fill that thirst. Desire is there. Bible says he's placed eternity in the human heart. 
He's planted in us desires that lead us back home to Him. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean if I delight, I get everything I want. You know what that means? When we delight, we do get what we wanted. We get God. We get God. We finally realize the the reason our desires are there in the first place. The Son, He's got a desire. Give me what I want. I want freedom from you, old man. I'm getting out of here. I'm going. I'm having fun. I'm doing whatever I want. I'm living however I want. It says he, he squandered his property in reckless living, a polite way of saying lots of, lots of prostitutes, a lot of prostitutes. This is the way he chose to spend the father's wealth. He's spending on his desires. There are two ways God gets our attention. The one is desire, and the other, disaster, disaster. The rainbow and the lightning bolt. God uses both to get our attention. And sadly for most of us, disaster gets our attention better than desire. For most of us, when life is good, we don't really think about God. But when life starts to go south, it's amazing how God comes to the front of our minds. In fact, very often when disaster strikes, we ask this simple three-word question, God, why me? Why? Why me? Even the question is a natural acknowledgement that God is saying something. Even in asking the question, we're realizing God is speaking. God has something he wants to accomplish in our lives. Well, for the son, a famine arises. He loses everything. It is gone. All that money, all that wealth, it is gone. He hires himself out to a citizen of that country, and he goes to take care of pigs. Jewish crowd listening to this. Jewish religious leaders listening to this. And they're saying, a Jewish kid went and worked with pigs. We don't do bacon. We don't do pig snout. We don't do pickled pig's feet. We don't do that. We're Jewish. We don't do that. And here this kid is taking care of pigs. And if you've been around pigs, you know there's slop. And they like to waller in the slop. And the slop has some of their feces in it. And right there is their food as well. And the kid's sitting there staring at this food speckled with fecal matter and mud and saying, I wish I could just have one piece. Desire turns to disaster real fast. There are two ways God gets our attention, and they often come together, desire and disaster. And the next verse says, but when he came to himself, another translation says, when he came to his senses, when he finally woke up, That's what desire and disaster are all about. We finally wake up. Why am I not home? Why am I not home with the Father? Why am I not enjoying that relationship with the Father? And he says, my goodness, the servants of my Father's house are treated better than me. Right now, I'd be willing to go to service status if I could just be in my Father's home. It says he he rose up and he went to his Father. It says, while he was a long way off, the father saw him. And I don't want you to read the rest of the sentence. I just, and I know you know the story. I want you to imagine. Imagine this kid who spent every part of your wealth on prostitutes. And he's run out and he's coming home. You know what most dads would do? There's the kid. There's the house. There's the door. There's the lock. Don't you dare come home. But he's not God the Father. God the Father is filled with compassion for this kid. And he starts running as fast as an old man can. And he grabs this kid and he hugs him and he's just thrilled to know he's alive. And he's thrilled to know he's back. What's the father been doing all along? The father's just been waiting. He waits at the end of the road for us to come home. And he's been waiting for some of you for the longest of time. He's waiting for you to come home. The Father is waiting for us to come to our senses. He's waiting for us to come back home. He confesses, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You see, the road back to the Father is all about confessing. It's about confessing our sins, whether it's the sin that separated us from God, the sin that is straining our relationship with God, or even in the silence just to confess, God, this is where I am with you right now. And I need your help. There's a confession that takes place. The father ran to his son, heard his confession, welcomed him home with a celebration. Bring out that robe. 
Bring out that ring. Bring out the shoes. Let's kill the fatted calf. Let's celebrate. This kid was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's fine, found. Well, remember the story is about two sons. Not all kids run away and live a reckless life. Some kids are good. I, I was the good kid. Some of you, you were the good kid. You check all the boxes. You keep all the rules. You do all that. This kid stayed home. He worked hard and he was good the whole time. He hears about what's going on inside. He's angry and he refuses to go in. He says to his father, I have been here. I've been faithful. I've never asked for a thing from you. This kid of yours, he doesn't even say my brother, this kid of yours comes home and you throw a party? What in the world are you thinking? He squandered everything you gave him. What in the world are you thinking? You see, he stayed home. He worked hard. He was good. But the older son is lost too. The older son is a religious rule keeper. He's not in relationship with the father. He's a religious rule keeper. He checks off all the boxes. He's legalistic. He's doing what he's supposed to do. But it's not about the relationship with the father at all. He's just doing the right thing for the sake of doing the right thing. Good is never good enough. It's never good enough. The father says, son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. It's fitting to be glad today. His brother of yours, he was dead and he's now alive. He was lost and he's now found. Story ends there. For me, a very unfulfilling ending. I want to know what happened. Did he go in? Did he stay out? Did he run away and become prodigal too? What did he do? Notice the father doesn't force him to come into the house. We don't know what the son did. We don't know if he joined the party or if he waited outside. Why? Because the story is an invitation to every one of us. How will you respond? In your lostness, whether it is a lostness of separation that requires salvation, a lostness of a pattern of sin, a season of sin that needs to be, uh, that needs repentance, that needs confession, or even just a lostness of silence where you need to deal with it. How will you respond? God's been using both desire and disaster to get your attention. What in the world are you going to do? I did something with the kids that really won't work here. I had all the family leaders come up on the platform at the end, and I said, where are you with this lost thing? I said, what I want you to do, don't do this. I told the kids to do this. I said, in a moment, I want you to close your eyes, and, and then your leaders are up here, and uh, if you need to have a conversation about being lost, look at your leader. They point at you. You know that they saw you. And then here's what's going to happen. Just like the father in the story, they're going to come to you. You're not going to come to them. They're going to come to you. And we're going to have a conversation about what you're dealing with. I wanted to do that today, and that would be utterly impractical. I mean, my sight, even to the back, is kind of squirrely. We'll deal with it a little differently. We're going to move to communion. Tables at the front and the back. Gluten-free on either side of the platform, one in the back as well. And as you come to communion, I want to encourage you maybe to do something. If you need to have a conversation about lostness, whether it's the lostness requiring salvation, a pattern of sin that you're ready to repent and you need help, or even just that silence that they, they you want to break through and get back to where you were in your relationship with God. I have some, I have some cards up here. The, the contact cards that we use at the welcome desk. Some cards here, pens. Go ahead and put your name and a way to contact you on that. And I'll contact you. And we'll set up a time to have a conversation about whatever that lost condition is that you need to deal with. So, again, as you walk to communion, this might take a little, I don't know, a little courage. But don't delay today. Come home to the Father. Come home to the Father. Lord God, give us the wisdom and the heart to come safely home to you in Jesus' name. Let's go to communion. A little instrumental piece is ironically named Returning. God wants us to return, to come back home. 
I, I did something uh, at the beginning of the teach on Wednesday night. It was kind of fun. Uh, prior to us leaving, the day before we left for Green Lake, Bryson Lakin uh, proposed to Julia Costa. They're engaged now. And um, wanted to have a little fun with them and reenact the worst wedding disaster I've ever performed. It was my very first wedding. Ben Sherwood and his soon-to-be wife, Kathy, ready to get married at this little church we were at. And, and they're coming up the aisle and dad's got her by the arm and and, you know, I do the dearly beloved part and get all through of that. And, and, then I, and then I just say with boldness, who gives this man to be married to this woman? Hear anything wrong there? <laughs> Kathy heard the wrong. I mean, the look in her eyes, you just completely destroyed our ceremony, right? I mean, it was, it was kind of an intense moment. And weddings have scared me spitless ever since. Nothing scares me more than performing a wedding. So told him the story for a purpose. Because last Sunday, after we got all unpacked and the kids arrived and we did all kinds of stuff, and we got to 12.30 at night, I sat down and I just wanted to do a little social scroll. And I looked and there was a message from Marcia Sherwood. And she said, bad news tonight. Our son Ben was killed. Driving back from a wedding, hit head on by a truck. And he went home to be with Jesus. His wife broke her neck, broke her, shattered her leg. Daughter had internal injuries. And I think back on that wedding and that little disaster, but I also think of words for better, worse, richer, for poorer, sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. I don't think Ben ever in that moment imagined that he wouldn't, he'd be the one just like ever to make it to, you know, 85, 90 years old, grandchildren, maybe even a grade or two running around the room, and instead his life is cut short. Why tell that story? Because some of you, when it comes to this lost thing, you keep saying someday, 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 and I'm saying just like so many have said in the past, you have no assurance of someday. Would you stop saying someday and say Sunday? Today. Today. Today is the day of salvation. Make it today. We'll see you.